Well, number one, there are women trial lawyers. That was Dwight James, IAJ's fifth president, when asked, how does the Iowa Association for Justice look different today compared to 1977 when you were president? Hello, friends. I'm your host, Steve Miller, and you are listening to the fourth and final episode of an IAJ oral history. Dwight's reflection sets the stage for a frank discussion of progress made but challenges ahead for today's Iowa Association for Justice. Several prominent members will get the ball rolling with their experiences on the representation of women in the trial bar. We'll then hear from several young leaders and their vision for the IAJ of tomorrow, and we'll conclude with a string of golden memory outtakes from the oral history interviews that will surely make you smile. Now, let's listen in on a priceless conversation with the Honorable Carla Schemmel, IAJ's 28th and first woman president, Janice Valentine, the 34th president, and Roxanne Conlon, former president of the American Trial Lawyers Association, now the American Association for Justice. First, Roxanne. I'm Roxanne Barton Conlon. Uh, I graduated from law school in 1966, before some of you were even born. Uh, and I have practiced law ever since. I started out as a, as a deputy industrial commissioner. Uh, I became uh, the second woman ever to be appointed United States attorney in the country. I was second by four days. <laughs> and, uh, and then I ran for governor of the state of Iowa. Uh, I was first runner up. And uh, then I started practicing law with the legendary Dwight James and Michael Galligan. And of course, the issue of IAJ was never an issue. If you were a plaintiff's trial lawyer, if you wanted to practice for the people, you belonged to IAJ. And so, of course, my introduction to IAJ was through those two very prominent members of IAJ. So I was never lonely when I went to meetings <laughs> because people wanted to talk to them and thought I might be an, uh, a, a way for them to reach those two men. And uh, I, I recall in the first of the many meetings that I attended, I was the only woman in the room, the only woman among 10 men or 20 men or 50 men. And it was lonely all through my early life as a lawyer. Being the only woman in the room was very, very common. It was almost a rule. <laughs> and so uh, it, it but there was a, there was a discomfort, and there was also the absolute necessity of bringing more women into the organizations of which I was then a part. Judge Schemmel, your reflections on how the bar has changed and, and this conversation we're having with Janice and Roxanne. When I graduated in 85, um, my class was about a third women, um, which is a big difference. And so that truly had changed to a greater extent, because obviously the more women we had, the more welcoming the, the, the situation was when you were practicing law. On the other hand, litigation work was not as welcoming to women, but I, I think that um, it got better. Um, it's still not where it needs to be, and women are still more approved by some people other places than litigation. But litigation was my love from the very beginning. I loved the courtroom, and, and I was privileged to be able to be in it. 
And so Janice, why don't you, you know, just reflect on that for a minute. And I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Um, I want to just mention the fact that from Roxanne graduating in 1966 with three women um, in 1992, I'm pleased to say that I was the first graduating class from the University of Iowa that had a majority of women. I think it was like one more, but it was still a majority. <laughs> and so you know, that has obviously changed, but what hasn't changed, and I know this was a focus when I was president, and I think there were individuals in the organization that thought somehow there was going to be um, earth-shattering movement in getting women to do what we do, but we have to face the reality that litigation work is not all that family-friendly. It's a you know, for when men were doing it, it was always called the jealous mistress. I don't know what we call it for women. I don't think we came up with the name, but but it is a very challenging job to do and and at the same time trying to raise a family. Uh, so our numbers are maybe always going to be a little skewed one way or the other, but I think we've made big strides there as well. Uh, Judge Schemmel, would you reflect on how women have and, and will continue to shape the practice of law in Iowa uh, and through IJ, not, not only during your time and what you had hoped to accomplish, but going forward in the future? I just think it makes it much more representative of what the public is, and it makes the litigants much more comfortable if they see a woman participating at some level in the court process. It had to be very intimidating, not just for the lawyers, but for the litigants to come into a courtroom and be surrounded by men on the bench and men at the council table representing you. I do think that women have a tendency to be problem solvers and be able to deal on several levels and solve problems sometimes quicker than, than men can. I remember when I first got out, we had, I'm sure thanks to Roxanne's office, a whole boatload or a, well, 800 asbestos cases in federal court. And Celeste Bremer was the magistrate who was handling those. And we would go to hearings, discovery hearings, and it would be Judge Bremer and myself and all men. And at times, it was Judge Bremer and myself who were figuring out how we were going to get things done. And the men were all fighting with each other, very honestly, um, and putting up roadblocks as to how to get things done. I think women do bring that into the practice of law. I think they just like to problem solve. Janice, how about you? Yeah, you know, I was reminded of this at a, a different nonprofit organization meeting that I was in earlier this week. And somebody made the comment that so many times one woman has changed the world um, and they brought up ruth obviously eve that one woman can make that big of a difference and i think sometimes we forget that along the lines of what you're asking i i think that uh, we're in a situation or position where again as i said i met so many of the upcoming young leaders of this organization and I'm very inspired. Uh, Roxanne, as, as both of your colleagues have mentioned here, you kick-started a lot of the 
changes that have happened uh, for women. Uh, how, how do you reflect on how women will continue to shape the practice of law in Iowa and with IAJ, hopefully assisting in, along the way? Women have a different life experience than men. I don't think that's ever going to change because we have the babies. But I think that we bring a perspective to the table that is different than even the most um, open of men. We, we live a different life. And as a result, we are able to identify areas of unfairness that most men didn't even know about. I mean, in, in a case called Gale versus Western Convenience Store, I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I learned to my surprise and chagrin that lost consortium for women is a property right of her husband. It's a property right, for God's sake. I was stunned and furious. And that case was my very first million dollar verdict case. And it was also, also taken to the Supreme Court. And that is an issue that I, I don't know if they were as flabbergasted as I was to find that remnant of, uh, of, of women's place in the law, but they changed it right away. <laughs> and, and that is, I mean, that continues to happen. I think it happens to all of us. We, we suddenly are faced with something that is clearly unfair, but nobody ever said anything before. So we say something. And I think that, that that's going to continue. I think that what has changed is the acceptance of what we say, of everything we say. I mean, we are recognized as full human beings, full lawyers, people who can participate, people who should participate, people who want to participate. And I think that changes everything about the practice of law. Uh, I've been in other legal organizations, never been in any legal organization like the Iowa Trialers. It, it is the most open, welcoming, uh, participatory organization I've ever been uh, a part of. And I think it it matters to every single plaintiff's trial or because we have to lean on one another and rely on one another and 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 we we do when we can. It's a it's a pretty amazing group of people, men and women. The leadership and vision of shining stars like Roxanne Conlon, Judge Schemmel, Janice Valentine, and many of their colleagues over the years have helped drive great progress at IAJ, not just for women, but for the future success of the organization. Today's leaders look to the future with the same optimism and willingness to help IAJ and the Iowans they represent meet the many challenges ahead. Here are three with their thoughts. In order of appearance, Cedar Rapids attorney Emily Anderson, Johnston attorney Amy Beck, and Waterloo attorney Ishan Vajpay. I think that the, the longevity of this association, it, it looks bright because of how dedicated we are to understanding the importance of the staff and what we have done in terms of putting resources into making sure that we have people, good people in the right positions. We've been very lucky to have some excellent leaders and looking at who we have now on the roster, I'm I'm really feel confident in the future of IAJ. 
And of course it's members. I mean, when you do this kind of work, when you work for people, when you work for injured people and people who are taking on the government, that's a calling. That's not just a job, right? It's a calling. And so we just have a great combination of staff who believe in this organization and members who believe in the work we're doing. And so as long as we have those two ingredients, we're going to be fine. We're going to be all right. And I think a key thing IAJ has done, you know, in the last 50 years and even more recently is those fights at the Capitol legislatively. Hopefully it won't be another 50 years of having to be too much on the defensive on some of the bills, but the educational impact of, you know, teaching Iowans about the importance of their rights and the lessons we've learned already at the legislature about crossing party lines to make sure that everyone's rights are protected. I can only see that being a stronger uh, asset of the organization and key as we move forward. So we can not only do our jobs, but also make sure that justice is being served. I guess I would say if there's anything travelers are good at, it's pivoting. It's uh, reacting quickly and calmly to change. And justice is going to look different in the future. And it, and it probably looks different now than it did in the past. And it's our job to, to keep up with those trends. And, and if we have to adjust uh, to get our clients what justice ends up looking like in the future, then I think we're, we're well positioned to do that. The aspirations of IAJ are central to protecting the justice system in Iowa. But there's another facet of the association that peeks through often and prominently throughout this oral history, enduring friendships and deep camaraderie. How appropriate then to end our tour through 50 years of Iowa Association for Justice history with the voices and golden memories of those who so graciously shared their insight along the way. And if you can't identify the storytellers that follow, Listen again to each of the four episodes in this series. Part one, inspiration and the early years. Part two, building a force for justice. Part three, battles for justice. And the episode you've been listening to today, the women of IAJ future leadership and golden memories. Finally, thank you for your dedication and support of the Iowa Association for Justice. Well, my favorite memory is our 40th gala anniversary celebration in 2013. The 40th anniversary celebration, which was our very first kind of centennial celebration of the organization's longevity, uh, was a magnificent event that drew people to Des Moines. And there were justices of the Supreme Court present, including um, the late Daryl Heck, who led the crowd in a rousing rendition of Stand By Me, the Bill Withers classic. And for the one of the few times I felt total solidarity with our membership. Uh, the most humorous one looking back was in 2008, Cedar Rapids was hit by a flood. And the tradition was that the president would host a, a president's outing in their hometown. So in Cedar Rapids, and this was shortly after the flood, Tom had started the year before the tradition of incorporating a public service event along with the president's outing. And so I thought it would be a good idea to bring 
uh, lawyers in from around the state, and we would help with the flood recovery process. Well, little did I realize the project that the uh, the disaster relief people planned for us was to muck out a house that uh, had been used as a garbage receptacle by the neighbors for several months uh, because they knew the family was was not going to be moving back into this house. It was a total wreck. And I should have known that this was not a good job when they asked us all to put on hazmat outfits before we went into the house. Well, there's a lot of memories. <laughs> um, you know, I've been on the Workers' Compensa Compensation Corps group for many years. I think one of my first meetings was in Sioux City, and we spent the whole day working on putting together the February seminar. And I was impressed with the group because I thought we they did a lot of work. Like we did some actual, you know, there's a lot of committees that don't do a lot of work, but they were, they got hard to work that day. And then uh, we went out for dinner and then we went out after that and we went to a piano bar and Dave Stamp um, kicked the hired piano player out of his seat and started playing piano for everyone. And uh, I thought, yeah, work hard, play hard. It was, it was really fun. I think the first really memorable board meeting for me or board retreat was during Jim Daney's presidency. And we, we got on some sort of like bus or trolley and got carted around Sioux city. And then we took a tour of the area and that might've even been my first board retreat. And so it was nice to be out with everybody, all these attorneys who are more uh, experienced than me. We used to have what was called a help reception uh, where contributors would get together and it was at Splash. And uh, I think it was probably, I'd just gotten on the board as the head of the criminal law section. We were at Splash and it was Paul Miller and I, who's now a judge, he was on the board at the time and Dave O'Brien was there. And we got talking about how really great our president was at the time. It was Bruce Braley. And we walked around the room, Dave O'Brien and Paul and I, saying Bruce Braley could be governor of the state. And we, it was the help, it was the contributor reception. So we got commitment of $71,000 contribution. From that, Bruce went, got together with people, went to Congress for a lot of years. And so that was just a really cool thing to have been a part of. And, uh, the association sort of started that whole chain. The the joke in my office is I always say that that for me the annual convention is is like a holiday. You know that you're going to get a chance to see all your friends, a lot of whom you haven't seen all year long. You're going to get a chance to to get these great gifts in terms of CLE speakers who are going to help you practice law better. You're going to get inspired, and so. The, uh, the, the convention is a huge part of our identity and in looking back on it, you know, has, has played a big role in the growth of our association.